Daniels Podcast. I am Colby Daniels along with my co-host Will Brewer for our weekly MMA episode. I don't even know what to do with myself, Will. Back-to-back UFC pay-per-view weekends and new and still and new and still. I mean, there's just so much happening in the sport, not to mention, uh, I mean, what's coming up in the next month as well. But holy cow, what a two-week stretch it's been. And oh, by the way, obviously Saturday night's card isn't necessarily a blockbuster, but you have one of the biggest stars in the entire sport headlining this thing in Max Holloway. So uh, I, I don't think you get maybe the same 10-fight caliber card that, that we've had for the last two weeks, but there's no doubt the main event is a massive draw. What's happening, man? Man, I'll tell you what, this uh, this Saturday's main event's kind of crept up on you because there's so there's been so much that's happened with 267, 268. These cards have been massive. The fights have been fantastic. And then you look to this Saturday, and then there's Max Holloway there, and he's like, hey, I'm still here. And he's as much uh, must-see as anybody in the entire UFC. I mean, we've already seen what he did uh, last January. I mean, it's been a month since we've seen him, but that performance, it's it's going to live on for eternity in, in my mind. Yeah. But, I mean, man, this 267 was fantastic. 268 was mind-boggling, and, and now we uh, – we kind of cap it off with this uh, Saturday's main event. I mean, it's been a it's been a wild stretch of fights. Uh, I mean, for a while there, uh, in uh, last month, we kind of had a few fight nights where it was just like, ah, uh, I mean, I'll watch it. Yeah. But I mean, these these last few pay per view cards have been as much must see as as there's ever been. So I mean, I'm not exhausted. I'm ready for more fights. I mean, just keep piling them on. <laughs> I'm excited for this Saturday too. Yeah, uh, I'll take it all. Uh, keep piling it on. I'm I'm in for back to back to back to back to back weekends like we've had <laughs> right. at least with UFC 267 and 268. Although I will say this, uh, maybe the next time we get a Gaethje Chandler fight, like just pause the pay per view about 20 minutes and let everybody calm down before you start the next fight. Because, admittedly, I'm watching that Burgos. Um, Billy Q fight, and we'll, we'll talk about all this in a second, but I'm watching that fight literally in my mind thinking, man, this is a great fight, but I am exhausted from watching Gaethje Chandler. Like, the the, the adrenaline dump as a viewer that I had after that thing ended was was pretty hardcore. Yeah, man, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, uh, Shane Burgos and Billy Q, I mean, everyone has been saying this on uh, across so many uh, different podcasts, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm right there with them. Gaethje Chandler just completely sucked the life out of everyone because it was so good. And yeah. now, like, you go to Shane Burgos and Billy Q, and then that fight, it was it was as good, but just everyone was so drained from just being on the edge of their seats from the first fight that you really couldn't appreciate yeah. what Shane Burgos and Billy Q really did. That fight was bananas, too. Just, I mean, the crowd wasn't as into it because they were so drained. And I'm watching at home, and I'm not really as into it, too, because I'm trying to text everyone, like, man, did you see that fight? Like, yeah. <laughs> really not really paying attention because Gaethje and Chandler was just so crazy of a fight i was exhausted like that fight ended i was exhausted and uh you know i think i think in a way it, it took me um probably until cheeto vera kicks frankie edgar in the chin little Shawn michaels sweet chin music before i kind of got like juice back right i mean there was there was a lull there for me where i felt like my energy level was so drained from being on my feet for the entirety of Gaethje Chandler and just literally thinking that at any moment that fight could have ended with a massive shot. Holy cow. Uh, what a night it was. And look, uh, we're going to get through the whole card. There's so much to talk about. But for a card that we said, given what we had just watched with UFC 267, that this one might in fact be better for it to be at Madison Square Garden, right? Joe Rogan's back for the first time since July. Bruce Buffer, who wasn't in Abu Dhabi, is there. It kind of felt like 
not only was this fight card a little bit better than 267 from a lineup standpoint, but it, it had all the all the makings of a blockbuster. And I, I think there's a tendency maybe to get your your hopes so high for something that there's no way it can ever live up to it. And not only did it live up to it, Will, like I got done Saturday night by the end of it. I was just like, holy shit. They did it. They did it, right? They hyped this thing up and nailed it. Man, from start to finish, I mean, if you if you sat there and watched the entire card as I did, as I'm sure you did, yep. uh, by the end of it, my man, just everything that's happened, uh, so many knockouts. There was a stretch of fights in the prelims uh, that there was like six, five or six fights in a row that there were knockouts. And so many moments, I mean, there's so many guys who's not going to get as much credit as they deserve because the night was so wild. I don't think I've seen a pay-per-view from start to finish uh, as exciting as UFC 268, like ev- maybe ever. The, the entire card from start, from start to finish uh, was outstanding. And uh, I mean, the stars of the night delivered. I mean, there wasn't, uh, I don't think that there was a boring fight on the entire card. Yeah. <laughs> or or a, fi- or a fight where it's just like, ah, I mean, okay. Like right. the, the entire night, there was something in every single fight that was very exciting. So um, yeah, by the end of that, I mean, I was probably, I was wiped out. I mean, I barely hung in there for the press conference, but uh, I was definitely wiped out. That card was outstanding from start to finish. So uh, before we, we start breaking down all these fights from a point standpoint, uh, this was a big opportunity. We were on the opposite side of, I believe, only two fights, correct? Yeah. You had Frankie yeah. Edgar, I had Cheeto Vera, and then you had Rose Namajunas, and I had... Uh, Zhang Wei Li, and uh, we split there. But with the with the championship point difference, your lead extends from fourteen to sixteen. So um, I, I had actually full full honesty, I had forgot that we were on the opposite side of of Vera and Edgar, and I was just going to be like, dude, it's over. Like <laughs> you won, I like it's over. And then I remembered later that that I was like, I'm pr- wait a minute, I think we were on the opposite side of of that one. So it's not just like I lost five points. I get three of them back there, but. Um, Commanding lead as we wind this thing down, and I'm getting closer and closer to uh, drinking a shoey by the end of this. But uh, yeah, so advantage will plus two on the scoreboard for UFC 268, which puts you at plus 16 on the overall scoreboard. Man, I'll tell you what, uh, I was definitely a little a little nervous uh, after uh, Cheeto uh, got that uh, kick um, because I knew how close that Rose and Whaley was going to be. Um, you know, after the first fight ended, you know, that, that was what it was, but you knew that this second fight was going to be razor, razor thin. Yeah. And man, when that fight ended, I thought for sure, I wasn't sure, man, but when the decision was read and Rose won, uh, definitely got up out of my chair and was about to, I I felt like, you know, texting you and giving you and giving you shit, but I was like, you know what? He's he's been through enough uh, tonight with the with how Gaethje Chandler's with, you know, the, the coaster of emotions. I'm I'm going to leave him alone and say, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, look, I mean, I, I uh, in my official picks on what I actually thought was going to happen, I, I picked Rose to win the fight, and I told you last last week that one was such a thin margin that I was going to go opposite you either way because I've, I've got to make up points, right? That was a championship point setting, and I was going to take the opposite side of it. Uh, so I thought Rose was going to win the fight, but knowing how thin that margin was, I, I was I, I felt good being on either side of it on on just the chance that either one of these. Uh, insane female fighters could have have got it done and I'll be honest with you man like that thing ended and I I wasn't like that was one of those fights where I I wasn't necessarily like scoring it myself 
But when the fight ended, I wasn't sure who was going to win. And if you had pressed me on the spot, like who I thought the judges were going to give it to, I might have told you Wei Lee at that point. Man, look. I got, when that it fight was close. Ended, it, yeah, that's as close of a fight that you're going to get. And I knew for a fact that it was a, a, going to be a split decision because, there, I mean, just how close those rounds were, the, the judges weren't going to have the exact same, you know, scores on right. all their uh, on all their sheets. So, I mean, I did not know who was going to win. Uh, I definitely thought – I had a 3-2 either way. I would have been fine with it because that's just how Razor uh, close it was. Right. Um, when, they, when they read 49-46, uh, I – I was like, man, you know, those rounds were so close, but Wei Lee couldn't have only won one round. I mean, neither of them really could have only won one round. So I was just, uh, I was, I was wondering who they were going to give it to. I thought for sure that it was going to be Wei Lee, but when they, when they said Rose, I was, uh, I was shocked. But I mean, it was the, it was a very close fight. Those yeah. rounds were so close, it could have been either way. So I guess at the end of the day, you could kind of just see it. Uh, from the judges' standpoint, they don't really have numbers to look at, or right. uh, they can't really go back and uh, think like, ah, uh, you know, that one, that round was close. Maybe I'll change it. You know, they have to kind of just uh, go on the spot. So I'm sure in in that realm, uh, they didn't really know like who they w- wanted to give it to. So sometimes you kind of just give it to the champ. Um, yeah. So maybe Rose benefited from that. Which you know, I think you could you could arguably say happened in the main event as well. Uh, I thought that rounds three, four, and five were way closer than they probably should have been. And I'm not going to sit here and, and try and make the, the argument that Colby won the fight. But I think that you can reasonably argue that he won any of those rounds, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, of course, Usman dominated the first two rounds, arguably 10-8 in the second I had round. I 10-8 in the second round. Yeah, so, right. So, I mean, I wasn't sure if they were going give to give him a 10-8, but I would have been fine with 10-8, cool with 10-9. But, you know, going into the third round, uh, I mean, the first two rounds, it just seemed like Kobe was really tentative, like he was really saving himself maybe for the later rounds. He started to turn it on in the third round. I've been hearing a lot of people uh, say that Kobe uh, won the third round uh, pretty uh, decisively. I uh, I wasn't on this side. I thought Usman won the third round, and then I thought uh, the fourth round was clearly for Kobe, and then I thought the fifth round was really, really close. Yeah. So, um I had it at I had it 48-47 for Usman. You know, there, there's people who can make the the argument that Kobe won uh, the last three rounds. I didn't see it that way, but um, I mean, just the way that the fight, the, the momentum was swinging, I didn't feel like Kobe did enough in that third round to you know fully take it over. But it was it was really close. Those last three rounds was as close as it, as it gets. I had it. Uh, so I had obviously Kamaru in round one. I had it 10-8 in the second round. I thought the third round was really tough to score, but I gave it to Usman. But if you told me like Colby won that round, I'm fine with it. Like I, that's not one of those that I'm going to argue over. Cause I think it was, it, it was that up for grabs. So at that point, like I've got it three rounds to none Kamaru. I had round four for Colby, but with the, especially with the 10, eight round in the second for me, I didn't even necessarily score round five. Cause I felt like going into round five on my card, at least Colby needed a finish if he was going to win. And it obviously didn't happen. But I, I think with round five, like you said, you could give it to either guy. Yeah, you could you could have definitely gave round five to either guy, and and like you said, I guess um, with me scoring the first three rounds for Usman, you you think that Kobe definitely needed a finish, so you kind of don't really pay much attention to it. You're kind of just looking for Kobe to see if he's going to yeah. actually try to get the finish. Um, but still, that round, that fifth round was was very very close. Um, uh, Usman and Kobe, they definitely both left it out there. Kobe's face was uh, uh, all busted up. Um, Usman for the first time, you see, you seen him get, uh, wobbled, you know, his you see his eyes, you know, kind of glazed over, it, you know, luckily it was at the end of the fourth round for him. But I mean, that fight, 
I mean, I don't think that um, after their first fight, you couldn't really expect the fight to be as good. Yeah. Uh, but they were they were both just, just uh, very much more tactical. You can tell that both guys made improvements. Um, and then that, you know, th- they both respected each other. Like yeah. Kobe Covington wouldn't be that labor back against anybody else in the in the entire division. I don't think there's anybody else that Kobe would have started out that uh, slow against uh, besides Usman, because Usman is just another version of Kobe. Just he has more power. So Kobe definitely respected that power throughout the fight. And uh, man, just, you know, that fight, you know, Usman and Covington too. that fight was just amazing. Uh, the, 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 the right guy won for sure. Uh, but Kobe definitely didn't lose yeah. any stock in my mind. Agreed. And look, I, Kobe wobbled him, what, three times yeah. in the fight? I mean, yeah. I, that was, uh, it was an awesome fight. And I, I think that given the way the fifth round went the last time, I think there was a lot of caution from Colby in those first two rounds to say, you know, I don't want to get planted again. And then when it happened, like it was, to me, it wasn't a surprise to see the way that he responded from round three on because you're either going to keep fighting the same timid fight that you were fighting at that point and still get rocked, or you can go out on your shield, right? Like at that point, there's no like saving it for, you know, you're not trying to, to be more tactical than, than he is at that point. Like he, you, he, he rocked you even when you weren't blitzing him. So you might as well up the volume and maybe you get rocked, maybe you don't, but it's already happening anyway. So you might as well try and fight your, your type of fight. So I, I expected that he was going to bounce back from round three on the way that he did. Um, you know, I, I kind of mixed feelings on the way that Kamaru approached it the rest of the way. Cause I, I felt like on one hand, you got to give him credit for maybe not taking the cheese, right. And, and staying disciplined the rest of the way. But at the same time, I also felt like if he had just maybe let it fly a little bit, maybe he gets the finish, right? Because there's there's no doubt that there is a power discrepancy between the two. Yeah, there's a definite power discrepancy. I mean, Kobe, um, Kobe was just hurting him with the with the exact right shot, yeah. right? And Usman, it, it can be any shot from Usman that hurts Kobe. I think um, being, I think just Usman having Trevor Whitman in his corner. I think. Um, that's why you still kind of seen him fight pretty tactically. I think you go after that second round and you get the uh, you drop him twice uh, and then you go to the corner. And I, I don't remember what Trevor said, but I'm sure uh, Trevor said something like, man, you know, you're doing great. But, you know, still fight, you know, use your IQ, fight uh, technically, don't chase it. You know, yeah. I'm sure he said something along those lines. Trevor Whitman's a great coach. And it's, he obviously showed that uh, on Saturday with all of his uh, fighters winning. Real MVP uh, Saturday so, night, Trevor Whitman. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, man. Trevor Whitman just... Uh, I'm sure we'll get to the Gaethje fight in a yeah. minute, but just with the things that he would say to Justin Gaethje, knowing that Gaethje wanted to go out there and put on a very, very violent performance, I think we saw maybe seven out of ten in terms of uh, how violent Justin Gaethje could be. But I think it was a very uh, tactical performance from him. Didn't even barely uh, get touched, and I think a lot of that uh, has to do with Trevor Whitman. Um, but so yeah, I mean Usman after having such a big second round. I think Trevor Whitman just told him, just, you know, stick to the game plan. You know, there's no shots will come, but don't chase them. You know, that just sounds like something Trevor Whitman would say to him. So I think that's probably what um, was going through Usman's mind in the, in the, on those last three rounds. But uh, that shot never really came. Uh, But I mean, he still fought a very, very uh, smart fight and he was still landing some pretty big shots. Just never landed that one that uh, put Kobe down again. Were you surprised by the uh, mutual respect displayed at the end of the fight? I was I was surprised. I didn't expect him to because you know Kobe plays that character and you know he's you know the people asked him like are, are you gonna shake his hand and he said yeah. no I don't respect him all this stuff but I mean he walked right over to him after the fight was over you know said what he said you know and they they embraced 
you know, that's something that I really love about this sport. You know, when there's a when there's a rivalry and, you know, you say all these things in the press conference, um, you say all these things leading up to it on Twitter and all this stuff. Um, and then you go out there and you fight. And then after the fight's over, you know, it, I think you leave all that bad blood in the fight. And then you just, you know, you share the octagon with this person for for almost 50 minutes uh, between two fights. So there's got to be some sort of respect uh, no matter what you say. And I think it showed uh, and for Kobe to actually, you know, kind of, I guess, break his character <laughs> and go out there. Is, and, is kayfabe actually... the, uh, the term in, in uh, professional wrestling? Yeah, yeah, kayfabe. <laughs> to actually go out there and you see the, the real person yeah. uh, come out of Kobe. Because, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of mixed uh, reactions when it comes to Kobe. You have those guys from ATT who say that he's a piece of shit. Yeah. And then you have some, some of the other guys who's like, you know, Kobe's actually a really good person. So I think we got to see that side of Kobe, the good person, come out and, you know, just say like, hey, this is all, you know, I'm trying to make money. You know, just go out there and kind of just break his character for a little bit. So that was really good to see uh, in, in my mind. Yeah. I mean, one thing's undeniable. The guy can sell a fight and the guy yeah. is a hell of a fighter. Right. So uh, regardless of how you feel about the antics, I think what one thing that that was proved on Saturday night is that uh, to some degree, uh, part of his gimmick is is just that. Right. It's a gimmick and, and it's to sell fights. Uh, and there was the, the moment where, you know, I think the curtain came down and we got to see behind the curtain, but you know, to his credit, he goes right back into it. Uh, the minute a microphone's in front of his face and, and he's brilliant because he immediately is calling out Masvidal. Right. And it's, it's a, it's a rivalry. It gets people talking about something other than him losing. And he's right back into the character. And, uh, I mean, it just, it worked perfectly and he played it perfectly. I thought on Saturday night and, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see if that actually happens. Obviously, we'll get into the Masvidal-Leon stuff in a minute, uh, but I'll be curious to see if that is the next fight for Colby Covington. Uh, as, for, as for Kamaru Usman, again, we'll talk about his next opponent uh, in just a little bit when we also get into the whole Leon-Masvidal thing, but I think Dana said it on Saturday night in his press conference that at this point, it's hard to argue against Kamaru being the greatest welterweight of all time. Man. Okay. Kamaru Usman... One of my favorite fighters to watch. I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a huge John Jones fan, and I think uh, Kamaru is starting to get up there with with John Jones. Just I, I I love watching him fight. I think just uh, the way that he he became champion and then knew that uh, there's still a level for him to get to going with Trevor Whitman and like you know there's some champions who become champion and they kind of just rest on their laurels and stuff. But with Usman wanting to you know realizing that he could be better. And then uh, going to Trevor Whitman, you know, that that kind of you know resonated with me. It said something about him. And then he's gone out there and really performed. But I say all that to say, man, GSP, I think we're forgetting, you know, how good GSP was uh, and like how many times that he defended, defended the title against the very best guys that the UFC had to offer. He was champion for many years. He was a big star in the sport. And I mean, I'll say this about Usman in, in terms of who he's been fighting uh, I think uh, strength of schedule um, kind of uh, because, you know, the guys are better now. I think the strength, the strength of schedule favors Usman. Yeah. But I think the, the entire body of work right at, at this very moment, it still favors GSP um, because um, all the guys that he's beaten, he's beaten Matt Hughes, uh, Matt Serra, uh, John Fitch, Josh Koscheck. I mean, people may not realize may, may not know who these guys are because, you know, it's been a while since all these guys are relevant. But back in the day. These were some of the scariest guys in that division. The welterweight division was loaded and GSP was running through these guys. Um, so for me, as much as I want to say that Usman is the greatest welterweight of all time, I still give it to GSP by a slim margin. 
I don't think that Usman has to get as many title defenses as GSP had because of the strength of schedule. I think he uh, needs to just like be in the in the ballpark. Um, but at this very moment, I mean, and I know it's recency bias and everything. Uh, you know, <laughs> Usman is what's happening right now. But I think Usman has a little bit of work to do. I think he's well on his way, and I don't see it slowing down for him at all. But uh, I still favor GSP just a little bit over uh, Kamar Usman. Yeah. Part of the problem is, like, from a resume standpoint, Kamar's beat everybody already. Like, who else can he yeah. beat that adds to the resume? It's like we're, we're talking about repeats at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. unless Hamzat uh, becomes the guy. But, you know, as we're sitting here having this conversation right now, the guys that currently sit in the top, like, four, five, six, you know, it's... And, and now it's getting to the point where he's uh, he's beating them, and he's beating them again. Like, he's coming back around and, and beating them again. Yeah. Uh, there's not many fresh matchups out there for him. And so, I mean, at this point, I think uh, I think the best guy that either one of these guys could have fought, GSP or Usman, is Kobe Covington. And Usman has beat him twice, finished him the first time and beat him pretty, I'm not going to say decisively, but he beat him again uh, in the next fight. Um, I'm not sure if GSP would have beat Kobe Covington, uh, a guy who can, who, with that much Tough volume, matchup. who can wrestle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a hell of a matchup, right? So um, I'm, I'm not for sure if GSP could compete uh, as well as he did, I be as dominant as he was in today's uh, MMA. But I think if you put Kamaru Usman back in GSP's time, I think you know Usman's so good. A lot of those guys was just wrestlers. They're not. They're not going to out wrestle Kamaru Usman. We we saw Kobe Covington try to uh, wrestle with Usman. We saw him even him struggle. Yeah. And uh, Kobe Covington brags about how he was a Division One wrestler and, and Usman was D two. But when you know when you see him in there, <laughs> I mean, who was really D one and who was really D two? You know, so. Yeah. Uh, By the way, Colby got a takedown, and, but the, I, apparently the UFC doesn't call that a takedown because there wasn't enough control. Bro, look, like I said, love Usman. That's the, a takedown. The brother got that brother got taken down one hundred percent. Anybody else? I mean, I know that, that he's been perfect with his takedown defense. Anybody else that would have been counted as a takedown? Yeah. I know for a fact. Yeah, for me, he got taken down. All, respect to Usman. Respect to all those takedowns that he stuffed. He got taken down once by Kobe Covington uh, yeah. at UFC Yeah, And look, that's also why I, I can't just like say a takedown is the difference in a round, right? Because a takedown can be as simple as what we watched right there that literally has no effect and Kamara was back up, I mean, instantly. But he was on his feet and then he wasn't on his feet anymore. That's a takedown. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, he, was on bo- he was on both knees. Like, that's yes, a, that's that's a, a takedown. Yeah, I mean, now I'm not giving Colby a bunch of points for like, you know, the round or anything necessarily, but it was a takedown. Yeah, it, it was at least a takedown. Yeah. You know, Daniel Cormier, uh, Olympic wrestler, he even said that that's a takedown. I mean, I, I'm with him. I'm yeah. not going to be with the with these MMA uh, rule guys who say like, oh, you have to have this, 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 and this to, to have, for it to be a takedown. I'm going with the Olympic wrestler with what he said. And for, my, and for me, from uh, watching MMA for the last decade of my life, any other fight, that's a takedown. Yeah. So I'm going with that's a takedown. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, we mentioned, uh, we, we've kind of already talked about uh, Rose and, and Whaley, uh, by the way, again. Just a reminder, Trevor Whitman, the real MVP, uh, another Whitman pupil, Rose, uh, defends her belt. Great fight. I, I, I want to watch that one back because I'm curious uh, how I'd feel about it watching it a second time. Um, what's next for Rose? Oh, man. Uh, I think you have to go with Carla Esparza next. Um I mean, there's Joanna out there, but Rose has beat her twice. Uh, Marina Rodriguez, she might need one more. Uh, she's beat Wei Lee twice. And, I mean, nobody else really makes sense. I think uh, 
Carla's not the biggest star out there, but I mean, I think Carla has worked her way back up to this point. You know, she was the first ever uh, strawweight champion, and then she lost. Uh, she beat Rose for the title, and then lost to Joanna. And then yeah. since then, she's had to work her way. It's similar to the Glover to Share thing in a way, where you know, you you lose a title fight, and then you have to go through so many loops and and uh, wins and losses, and then you finally get on that hot streak. Uh, she's won five in a row, I, I believe, and and now I think it's time, you know, run that back. I think the thing that helps her is the fact that she has a win over Rose, and uh, there's that there's that story behind it where yeah. Rose wants to get that back. So for me, I think uh, I think clearly Carla is the next contender. I don't really see where else they could go. I would hope that matchmaking opportunity here we go Wei Li uh, Jacek rematch. Uh, now that there seems to be a little separation in terms of the title conversation and their rematch not necessarily having to be reflective of of where you go with a title shot. Uh, look, I think from a stylistic standpoint, Marina Rodriguez and uh, Rose Namajunas would be unbelievably awesome. Um, you know, from the, you know, wrestler versus striker standpoint, and like you said, Carla having that head-to-head win... Uh, earlier in their careers, uh, that that storyline writes itself. I don't hate either one of those, to be honest with you. I, I wouldn't have an objection on either side of that. Yeah, I mean, if they really wanted to give it to Marina Rodriguez, I mean, she's been on a roll herself, and, and it's a very fresh matchup. You know, we've, we've never seen it before. Yeah. And then, you know, the styles, you know, Rose being uh, as uh, clean of a striker as we've seen any woman, uh, and then Marina Rodriguez, you know, she's ran through this division, uh, and now she's on that hot streak. But I think um carla has a win over so i think like yeah last year yeah yeah so so yeah so it was a win so um even if you try to put that fight together you still have to look at carla like she's one five in a row she's already beat marina rodriguez she's beat rose so i mean it's like you said the story writes itself uh and but if you wanted to have a fresh matchup between rose and marina i I wouldn't be uh i wouldn't be mad at it at all yeah fresh matchup and again like i said like i think the thing that that potentially would give that an opportunity over the other is their styles i mean styles make fights right and Marina Rodriguez, Rose Namajunas would be an awesome stylistic matchup in terms of giving yeah. us a great yeah. fight, right? Yeah, man. Like, um, you know, Whaley is isn't uh, her her arms aren't aren't very long, her legs aren't very long. You know, Rose's is long is long and lanky, so it takes it's going to take more for Whaley to get inside of Rose's reach and Rose's movement. Uh, Marina's a little bit taller; she's a little bit bigger than than Whaley is. So, uh, just Rose being able to fight someone who's um, kind of in her uh that can get into her link uh the way that nobody else has before uh would be very intriguing but i have another name who could uh potentially work her way into this uh situation uh, i was thinking about this earlier what if uh jessica andras gets back into it okay she was she talked about in, in her last fight moving back down and she's got to win over rose rose has a win over her you know it's a, it's a trilogy situation but both of those fights were very very interesting uh they could the ufc could go back to that yeah, um, I almost feel like you already have a little bit of a logjam there. I, I, I like. I almost feel like you only do that when there's there's no one that really separates themselves. And right now, I think like they're they're in that situation where like they have an abundance of options as opposed to no options. But I mean, look, that's a great fight, and and Andrade's name alone, not to mention it being a trilogy potentially, is a. It, I mean, it sells itself. So I don't hate it. I I, I would prefer. I think one of the other routes first, though. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you, but I wanted to I wanted to ask you because I have a um I have a, a pretty interesting scenario to go over with you. But okay. what do you think is next for Wei Lee? I I love the Yun Jacek matchup immediately. 
Now, I, I feel like that matchup's always going to be there. Uh, I think that um, there's there's never going to be a situation where, where people aren't going to want to see that rematch at some point. Yeah. I think with Wei Li, not really... I mean, what else is she going to have to do to get back to Rose? It's going to take a lot, right? I think what would be good is if she moved up, maybe got a, a easy win at 125 against like a, a Cynthia Calvillo or someone that she could beat, and then have her fight Valentina. I mean, I think uh, Whaley's star. Uh, I yeah. think she's a star, yeah. of course. And uh, that division needs more contenders. So, uh, And they were talking about a super fight with Whaley and Valentino back when Whaley was champion. So why not uh, try to make that fight happen while Whaley is still, you know, as big of a star as she is, Whaley and Valentina? I love it. I love it. I think, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I don't entertain that that would be a close fight, but... Um, <laughs> I think that, yeah, that would right. be a dominant Valentina win, but Absolutely. yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I don't hate the idea. Yeah, like just because we just because we we have an idea of how that outcome would be, it doesn't mean it wouldn't uh, create a little bit of of hype, I guess. Right, because you know, Whaley, out of everyone that that's at one twenty five right now, Whaley is the is already the biggest star in that division outside of Valentina. So yeah. if she were to move up, that would be a very intriguing fight. Yeah, but it would be a very dominant performance for Valentina. But, I mean, just the buildup would be very interesting because uh, Whaley is a former champion uh, moving up. So, I mean, why not? Yeah. Yeah, I don't hate it, man. Um, yeah, look, I, Rose is obviously, you know, one of the biggest superstars in the sport, and she pops every time uh, she's in the octagon. I, I think that uh, if they wanted to prolong or maybe – risk management on Lo Rose losing the belt, I think you probably go Marina first and then Carla because uh, I think there's much more of a threat with Carla. Um, and not not just because Carla beat her the last time, but because of where they are now and Carla's style, I think, is just a bigger threat. So, I don't know. It'll be... Uh, Carla's the most deserving. I think M Marina Rodriguez probably gives you the most entertaining fight. So... You know, I actually think that uh, Carla would be the... I'm not going to say the easier, but I think... Um, the more the the more winnable fight for Rose. Do you really? Because, yeah, just because, uh, you know, I think Wei Li had had success because, um, she's dangerous on her feet, and Wei Li could have ended that fight on the feet with the with the right shot. I don't think the same threat is there with Carla. So I think Carla's biggest her way to, to winning is to get Rose to the ground. Agreed. But I think now with Rose's movement and with how clean uh, striking that she is, I mean, when when Carla beat her the first time, Rose was just out there wild, and you yeah. know that's what we knew her as. She was a wild fighter. She would do these jumping submissions and and everything. You knew that she was a ta she was very talented, but she still had a lot to learn. I think now um, it would be very very difficult for Carla to get her down because Carla is shorter. She's strong, obviously. She's a very credentialed wrestler and everything, but I think she would really struggle uh, getting Rose down because Rose knows that. That's what Carla wants to do, and I think she has yeah. she'll have a, a way better game plan to stop it. Whereas Marina could just could take her out with the right shot. Marina could definitely uh, knock her out. So that's that's just my take on it. I yeah, I just think if she does get it on the ground, uh, the difference in what she can do from that standpoint is drastic. Um, so yeah, I mean you always have to get the takedown first, but once it gets there, she's so smothering. Uh, yeah. you know that's uh, 
big red flag, I think. Uh, either way, uh, Rose continues to be one of the biggest uh, female stars in the sport. She retains the belt, and uh, it'll be fun to see what, uh, what what's next for Rose. Um, all right, Chino Vera, Frankie Edgar. Will, this was, uh, I mean, over like that. I mean, what a shot. And Frankie Edgar complaining about the stoppage to me as he's literally wobbling on his feet. <laughs> like, man, no, no, it was, that was the right stoppage. Yeah, man, it's the right stoppage. Um, you know, Frankie's a fighter, man. He wants to go out on the shield. You know, if he's if he wants to get the fight get to get stopped, he probably wants to be unconscious like he was against right. Corey Sanhagen. But I mean, the ref's job is to protect the fighter. Frankie's on Frankie's forty. You know, uh, I think the ref uh, definitely uh, made the right call by stopping that fight. Yep. Uh, Frankie was, I mean, yeah, Frankie was done. Yep. That what a what a perfectly placed shot by Cheeto Vera. Um, I you know I thought. That if Cheeto were, were to win, it would be something like that uh, for him to land a spectacular shot like that. I just didn't, I just thought that with Frankie having that fight with Sanhagen, I thought he would be more uh, aware. But yeah. I mean, Cheeto threw it so clean and so you know so quick that there was nothing Frankie could do. So um, yeah, hats off to Cheeto, man. He he really showed. I thought that the fight was gonna go pretty much like the first round, how Frankie uses wrestling and kind of just. Uh, nullified everything that uh, Cheeto was able to do. But in those last two rounds, I mean, Cheeto definitely uh, had his way, showed a lot of growth, a lot of uh, fight IQ, and then uh, landed the, the strike to end the, to end the night. So um, I'm interested to see what's next for Cheeto, man. I think um, he's on his way. Yeah, he, you know, he was kind of just needing that that big highlight moment uh, to, to put him over the top, and especially against somebody with the resume of, of Frankie Edgar, you would anticipate that that he's going to be given a big opportunity. Uh, the guy, you know, we talked about this last week. The guy's only 28 years old, but it feels like he's been in the UFC since the beginning, right? Like, Cheeto Vera's been around forever and has a ton of fights uh, on his his record, and he's finally getting to that point where his name is is creeping up to, you know, the to facing the elite of the elite. Um, I, I thought that that his length and, and kicks were going to be a problem overall. I, I thought it was going to be a decision. I didn't see, I didn't anticipate Frankie getting KO'd, uh, but... Yeah, Cheeto Vera, I mean, we've talked about that division so many times and what's out there. I mean, you look at the current rankings as it stands. Peter Jan's obviously the the interim. Uh, Aljermaine Sterling, who's out for who, who knows how long, uh, is the champ. TJ Dillashaw in waiting. Corey Sanhagen just lost. Maybe Sanhagen, Cheeto Vera is a fight you can make. Um, Rob Vaughn is four. Aldo, five. Marab, six. Cody Garbrandt, seven. Pedro Munoz, eight. Marlon Marais, 9. Dominic Cruz, 10. Chino Vera, 11. Um, followed by Frankie Edgar. You, I mean, there are there are like 10 names, Will, at that division that aren't even ranked that are, I mean, big-time draws with scary skills. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think that 135 is so is probably the best division in the, in the UFC. Um, there's so many guys in that division. Uh, like Chino Vera and like Dominic Cruz, like, these guys are outside of the top 10 when really they should be like in the top five or six, you know, um, I, you know, I think that, uh, Cheeto Vera against, uh, the Cruz Munoz winner would be good. Yeah. Uh, if, if Sanhagen, I feel like Sanhagen might want to take some time off, but if he wants to get back in there, I think, uh, Cheeto and Sanhagen would be great. Um, uh, Cheeto Marab. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure Cheeto is game for that, but yeah. man, that's a, that's a tough matchup. Like that's probably one of the scarier guys in the division. Um, Marab is uh, is on fire right now, but I mean man, maybe maybe Cheeto's of- length and uh, you know we saw a little bit of his uh, you know jujitsu ground game with Frankie on him. I mean maybe maybe that's the right matchup. I don't know. 
Yeah, you know, it could be. Um, you know, Marab is such a strong wrestler, and, and that's like the most important like skill in, in, in the game right now. Uh, you look at all these uh, at all the Russians who are doing good with their wrestling. Um, but yeah, I mean, Cheeto presents a style that maybe if he can keep it on the feet, um, he would do well. But and then if he can, uh, if he does, if it does get to the ground, he could throw up some submissions and uh, make it tough on Marab. So I mean, yeah, there's a lot of interesting matchups out there for him. Uh, I don't know uh, which way they will go, but I think um, Cheeto's next fight. Uh, I mean, if he wins that one, I, I think he's right there at the top of the division for sure. Yeah. Okay, so we talked a little bit about this one earlier, but Shane Burgos and Billy Corintillo, uh, this one just kind of felt like everybody was on adrenaline dump and, uh, you know, th- they didn't get the pop that they deserved for what was an awesome fight. And look, every time I've ever seen Shane Burgos in a fight in the UFC, it's this kind of fight, right? Like, the guy doesn't know how to do anything but put on awesome fights. And I'm glad for his sake that we saw him on the winning side of one of these finally. Yeah, I mean... Uh, but it's been two years yeah. since his last win? Yeah, I think he was on a two-fight skid. Um, but, but man, give credit to Billy Q because yeah. he came out and really took it to Shane Burgos. Won that first round, um, and, I, and I thought he kind of ran away with it. I didn't think it was very close. And then, uh, you know, credit to Shane Burgos for coming out in the second round, making the adjustments, and then uh, really attacking that leg, man. Like, uh, whew. Uh, but <clears throat> they are both landing some really, really uh, uh, tough shots on each other. Um, I think if uh, if you if the if the card would have stayed how it was originally with Shane Burgos and Billy Q or uh, with Frank Yeager and Cheeto Vera opening the card and then you get Shane Burgos and Billy Q like that fight would have definitely been way more appreciated yeah. than it than it was. Um, but man, uh, like, you know, after the fact, you kind of look back at it and you're like, man, like those two really went at it. Uh, but, you know, in the moment, you know, you like you said, the adrenaline dump, you know, the crowds kind of. You know, still trying to get their bearings back together. I yeah. mean, even people at home are still trying to get back in it. So you really can't appreciate it. But, like, looking back on it, like, those two went at it, and I hope that the UFC took care of them. Yeah. Well, like I told you earlier, like, I'm watching that fight, and I'm literally thinking in my mind, man, this is a really good fight, but I'm, I am I feel numb. Like, <laughs> I'm in recovery mode from what I just watched. So, like, I, I understood, like, even watching it, like, this is an awesome fight, but... I just couldn't be on the the edge of my seat the same way I was 10 minutes before because it's time to talk about it. Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, fight of the year. That first round was as good as any round I've ever seen in the UFC. It's a rare thing that you can have a fight that, that we all say, like, there's no way this is boring, right? There's no way that this fight doesn't suck. And not only does it live up to the expectations, but it surpasses the expectations unbelievable fight from Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje. Holy shit. I mean, I, I don't think that there's any other way that this fight could have gone. I mean, with how the, the build was without, with what they were saying, like you could just tell as soon as the fight was announced, you knew that this was going to be bananas. Um, and the fight definitely lived up to it. Maybe even surpassed even my expectations. Yeah. Um, man, I can't say enough about Justin Gaethje, man. I think that, uh, Justin Gaethje, I mean, I thought a, lo- a while ago that he should have been in the lightweight title fight. I, he he was the one who got who was the odd man out, but I thought from the beginning that he should have been in, in the uh, in the title picture, in the title fight, I mean, the Vega title fight. But, I mean, his performance just kind of solidified it for me. Um, I think that uh, if this fight would have took place maybe three years ago, I think Justin Gaethje might have lost that fight. Yeah, I agree. With how Michael Chandler was was going at him, 
and kind of testing his ego. Like uh, I think Joe Rogan said on the broadcast, he, that Michael Chandler was testing his ego. I think years ago, Justin Gaethje would have fell right into that and got knocked out because it, 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 his his style back then was either you go down or I go down, whatever. Yeah, you know, this I'm down not for whatever. going to the judges. Yeah, exact exactly. And and since he's and since he's been wanting to become a champion, I mean, Trevor Whitman has really instilled a, a championship mindset. But you can still see that there's still that, those violent intangibles inside Justin Gaethje. He just doesn't bring them fully out. You know, he does. He's very defensively responsible. Like um, if you look at Michael Chandler's face, he definitely wasn't defensively responsible. His face was mangled afterwards. But Justin Gaethje didn't really have many, like maybe a scratch on his face. I mean, he got hit a lot for sure. But he didn't really take many shots very clean like Michael Chandler did. Yeah. Uh, his 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 defense was was up. I mean, hands was always up. Uh, and uh, the leg kicks were were <sighs> nasty as usual. I mean, I don't think that's I don't think that's something that's ever gonna leave uh his his arsenal is those leg kicks from from in close. I mean, there's never been anybody that I've seen throw leg kicks like that from in close and, and generate that much power. Uh, I don't know how he does it, but I mean, man, the power of the leg kicks combined with the accuracy of the punches, right? Like, I think that was really on display in the Tony Ferguson fight was just the accuracy. And it just felt like the precision of all of his punches. And I mean, man, he's an animal. Right. And then you, you see Trevor Whitman, like, um, like when he's starting it, like before, three years ago, he's throwing these shots with all of his power, with all of his might, trying to knock guys out. So by the second, third round, he's starting to gas, and then he's more susceptible to get knocked out, which is what we saw with Eddie Alvarez, what we saw with Dustin Poirier. So like when he goes to the corner, Trevor Whitman just tells him like, "Man, you're trying to kill the guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> take take some take some off the off your punches. You'll still you'll still get there. It'll still get the same kind of effect that you want, but just take a little bit off your punches. You're trying to kill him." And he said that with in the Tony Ferguson fight and Justin Gaethje in, in those next rounds just was battering Tony Ferguson, just really, really battering him. He said the same thing uh, with this fight after, I think, the first or second round, Michael Chandler. And then in, in that very next round, he dropped him with a beautiful uppercut. And I just think, you know, with, with how Whitman is coaching him, Justin Gaethje's championship mindset, he's still got the violence in him, but he's, it's, very more, it's very much more technical. And uh, I think with that style, I think he's a problem for a lot of these guys uh, at lightweight, man. I think uh, uh, his next fight should definitely be for a UFC title. Yeah, I, there's no way you can deny him the next title shot. And, I mean, for everything you just described is spot on. I, you know, it felt like the Tony Ferguson fight to me felt like taking that next step uh, in, in the evolution of not just being a brawler, but, you know, just kind of being more calculated in the way that you're going to approach this. And we, we know how dangerous Michael Chandler is on the flip side of this fight. I thought Michael Chandler taking the beating that he took and, you know, especially in the third round where his hands are down and he's literally battered, just saying, hit me and taking those shots. Like if you're not going to win the fight, that's probably the best thing that could have happened for Michael Chandler and what's going to happen in the rest of his UFC career. Right. Cause we all know how talented the guy is. But what really wins you over and puts you over the top from a, you know, a, a great fighter to being like a superstar is everybody watching you knowing that you have a level of toughness that like very few people have, right? All of these guys are skilled. All these guys are talented. You don't get to this level without being skilled and talented and doing all the things they can do. Uh, and, you know, especially in that division as well. That division, the reason I think it's the best division, it may not be the, as deep as, as 135, but I think the level of, of killers that you have at the top of it is unlike any other division. 
you're not even in that same breath without being insanely talented. But to to, to put on a display of toughness like that against a guy like Justin Gaethje, like Michael Chandler won as much as anybody in that fight. It was a great fight. Everybody watching it won from the fight that we got to watch. And look, I would have bet everything I had that there was no way that fight was going 15 minutes. And especially after the first round, I would have said, there's no way that fight is going 15 <laughs> minutes. For it to go the distance, for us to see, I mean, Gaethje do what he did for 15 minutes, uh, Chandler to have the comeback moments that he had while also just absorbing punishment throughout the entire fight. Like, everybody involved won after that fight was over. Holy cow. Yeah, Michael Chandler's stock didn't drop at all. Um, like you said, just his performance in the fight, showing uh, how tough he was. And this was a fight that he was never truly out of. I mean... I mean, just any shot that he would have landed, if he would have landed right, uh, he could have got Justin out of there for sure. Um, the punches that he took, the leg kicks that he took, I mean, all the punishment that he took, he was wearing it on his face. Uh, but for him to just keep going forward, I mean, he never stopped pursuing uh, Justin Gaethje. Even when times was looking tough, he was trying to get the takedown. But yeah. like you said, he won over a lot of fans. Um, and his stock didn't drop. And I think even in his next fight, uh, there will be a lot of people, whoever he's matched up against, they'll be like, oh, Michael Chandler's fighting. I got to I gotta tune in to see that for sure. Um, and, and there's still some very good stylists and matchups out there for him. Uh, even though he's one and two in the UFC, uh, he's, a, he's a star, man, for sure. I mean, uh, the way he speaks, uh, he's very mannered and everything. But when he gets into the cage, uh, he's definitely uh, he's definitely a monster. And he's going to go out there and uh, leave it all out there. And that's all that you want from a, from a fighter as a fan. Uh, he, he called out Connor, uh, Connor said, I think Connor's words were, I'm down at some point, which to me <laughs> is like, uh, not yet, but you know, we'll do it down the road. Um, I, I love that thought, right? Like if, if, if Connor McGregor is only going to get in the octagon with a dance partner, that's going to hold up his end of the bargain from a draw standpoint, I think Michael Chandler helped himself in that, that category. I think that fight makes a ton of sense yeah. for so many different reasons. Uh, the main thing is um, Conor McGregor. He's a star. I mean, he's a superstar. Who can you match? Who can you match him up against that will be whose name that can hold weight? I think at this point, Michael Chandler's name holds weight, and that's someone that that Conor McGregor could could sell out pay per views with uh, as a main event for sure. Um, and then these are guys who have lost. You know, Conor's lost two in a row. Michael Chandler's lost two in a row. Yep. They're kind of in the same boat in terms of uh, the lightweight division. So in terms of lightweight division, this fight makes a ton of sense. Also, if I'm Connor, I want to fight someone who's not just going to wrestle me, right? Like, I want to fight someone who's going to stand and, and, and trade. If Connor says the right things as far as, like, I want to be in the middle and I want someone to, to test, you know, this, this, you know, I think that Michael Chandler is definitely going to uh, be that guy to, to want to stand and trade with him. I mean, we saw how he did with Dan Hooker, how he just pursued him. I mean, he tried to take Justin Gaethje down kind of because he had to. <laughs> I mean, but at first he was out there pursuing him, trying to knock him out and, and wobble Justin Gaethje. Yeah. So I think at this point, if I'm Connor, my comeback fight is against a guy like Michael Chandler. Absolutely. I don't think there's anybody else. Like, I mean, because when, think about it. Who else is he really going to fight? Like, you could throw him in there with Tony Ferguson. Tony's the only one but, that makes sense to me. I mean, right now. Yeah. I mean, outside of Tony, who else is going to be a good matchup. Whose name is going to hold weight right. outside of Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler? So if I'm Connor, those are the two names I'm circling. Of course, you know, Nate Diaz is out there, but I mean, who knows how long Nate Diaz is still going to be with the UFC. You know, there's a lot of stuff up in the air with him. So uh, at this point, those are the two names if I'm Connor that I'm circling for sure. Yeah. I, I would say I would love to see Connor Tony before that's no longer an option. 
uh, which feels like it that that I mean the window for for potentially having that fight is very very uh, short. Uh, it's yeah. yeah. Uh, so I would love to see that fight. Um, and look, that's I mean that potentially could be the end of of Tony. Um, yeah. Connor's star power is such that even if he lost that fight, he's fine. You know, like he's always going to be a draw. But um, yeah, I mean the Michael Chandler fight would be great because stylistically it makes sense, but also like. I think we, here's where we have to give Michael Chandler some credit. Like the guy's been around for a long time. He understands the game and he understands that it's not simply just about going in the octagon and winning, right? Like Saturday night was a great example of, of why Michael Chandler understands. It's not just about winning. He gets that. This is also about putting on a show. There's no way Michael Chandler is going to be the, the co-pilot next to Conor McGregor and go into a fight and wrestle in front of, you know, one of the biggest crowds that he's ever going to have in front of him. Like, is that a path to victory? Sure. But, like, what does that cost you long-term in terms of, you know, fans and, and how much you can sell going forward? Like, I, I think that what we watched with him and Gaethje on Saturday night, he knows when he has that, all those eyeballs, all those clicks, you got to take advantage of it. And I, I don't think, uh, you know, unless he gets in a bad spot in that fight, he may go for a takedown. But that's going to be a stand-up war for the most part. Like, he understands what that opportunity would be. Yeah, and and even in this last fight, uh, he didn't go for the takedown until he had to. So uh, Connor is such a skilled striker that it might, you know, if he takes a few on the chin, you know, he'll get rocked and he'll have to, you know, because Connor's Connor's still good, you know, despite him losing and everything, uh, his tactics and everything. Connor's still very talented yeah, on the still feet. Got heat on those punches. Uh, absolutely, yeah. definitely. Sad. That left hand is still uh, dynamic. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that, I think that fight's definitely going to be a stand-up war. I mean, Michael Chandler is known in his in his career for stand-up wars, even back to Bellator. Uh, his fights with Eddie Alvarez were, were wars. And even now in UFC, he's known for wars. So um, if I'm Connor, man, uh, I, I go to Michael Chandler, especially because I know that that fight's going to sell. And I know Michael Chandler, um, people know him, and Michael Chandler's going to be able to sell the fight as well. I mean, uh, also, you know, you, you could go to Tony. I, that's going to be a stand-up war, but, you know, Tony's going to be more successful to take him down and, you know, try to submit him and everything. But, you know, Tony's down for those wars, too. Uh, yeah. So, Connor, Connor has options. That's always good to have. Uh, as a big superstar that he is, he's got options. But, I man, as soon as I saw that tweet from Michael Chandler and I saw <laughs> Connor respond, man, I the thought of Chandler and, uh, and Connor hasn't really left my mind. I would love to see that fight. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, I hope that uh, eventually we're talking about Poirier Gaethje too for the uh, undisputed 155 belt. That's 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 the fight for me, man. Yeah, that is the fight for me. I mean, even after the first fight, uh, that left me wanting to see a rematch. Yeah. But uh, that was the last fight that Gaethje was fighting wild and crazy. Yeah. I mean, since that fight, he's really like had a he's developed a championship mindset. His IQ has gotten a lot better. I mean, he's. You know, li- really listening to what Trevor Whitman is telling him, and uh, you know his performances have gotten so much better. He's getting knockouts and uh, and he's fighting very, very, very smart. So um, I would love to see Poirier and Gaethje at this moment, at this very moment. I think Poirier and Gaethje represent the matchup of the two best lightweights in the world right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm Charles Oliveira is the champion, but I mean, I got to see him beat Dustin for for him to truly be the the number one guy in my mind. Yeah. And then, you know, Islam's coming up, but, you know, I mean, I don't really know what to say. Islam's going to be Islam. champ eventually, but, uh, yeah, yeah like, <laughs> right. Gaethje's, Gaethje's resume uh, warrants him getting the shot first. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's it, man. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're right. Islam is going to be champion soon. It's just a matter of yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, that is just Khabib 2.0, uh, just with clean and striking. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Islam's going to be champion soon. But I think you you do Poirier engage you while you can because once Islam's champion, he's going to be champion for a while. Yeah. So I think you do that matchup for sure next. And look, that Poirier Gaethje the first time was awesome. I feel uh, like both dudes are at a completely different level now than they were at that point. And you really feel like. It, I don't know how many times we get two guys like this that get to meet in a rematch and they're at the apex of their careers, right? Like neither one of the, these guys are both at the peak of the mountain right now. Simultaneously. Yeah, man. Uh, like Dustin's performances uh, since he lost to Khabib have been sensational, man. Um, he hasn't, I mean, outside of Khabib, He's been pretty much flawless in the UFC, man. Uh, it, I mean, I don't remember who his last loss was to before uh, Khabib. Michael but he's beaten. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that was many moons ago. Uh, ago. That was a long-ass time ago. And he's beaten the who's who. Max Holloway, Anthony Pettis, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, uh, Dan Hooker, um, uh, Conor McGregor twice. Like, this man has went through a murderous row of guys. Jim and Miller, looked, Bobby looked, Green, Diego Fajeda. And in every single fight, it seems like Dustin Poirier is getting better. But you could say the exact same thing about Gaethje. Yeah. I mean, you take Khabib out of it because Khabib is, you know, who's beating Khabib? Right. Like, Justin Gaethje, he's beat uh, a murderous row of guys to get back in this spot. Like, interim lightweight champion. So, I think these two guys, like you said, they're at the apex. Um, they're at the mountaintop. And I think that this is the absolute fight to, to determine who the best guy is until Islam gets there. So, once yeah. Islam gets there, everything's <laughs> shut down. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um the UFC debut of Alex, uh, is it Pajeda or Pereira? I, I, I don't, I never know anymore with, uh, the way these names are pronounced, but, uh, either way, like, dude, UFC debut, massive expectation. We know the backstory, uh, you know, the knockout of Israel Adesanya. I feel like the UFC, um, thought about this and they said, we can either give him a striking matchup early and at some point he's going to have to fight maybe a higher level uh you know grappler or we can give him a grappler out of the gate let him get that out of the way before he really gets that fast track and that's the route that he went holy cow dude yeah man uh uh, i expected something like this but for him to go out there and exceed my expectations it's uh it was remarkable man that flying knee I mean, the the first round, it, it kind of seemed like, you know, oh, you know, he's, he's getting wrestled a little bit. You know, he's struggling. But then in the second round, he comes out and he totally shuts it all down. Like uh, in the first 30 seconds, I think his first the first thing he threw was that big knee uh, landed flush uh, and got him out of there. Like he's very he's very long for the division, uh, long arms, long legs. Like you can see why Izzy would have trouble with him yeah. because he can get to Izzy uh, in a way that nobody else can. And he's got unbelievable power in his hands. And then he's he's very athletic as well, so I think he's gonna he's gonna run through this division, and I think him and Izzy are gonna meet at some point. And you know that fight's gonna sell itself. The backstory, you know, Izzy d- does a good job of selling the fights himself. Um, but I'm very intrigued by that fight. And you know, there's there's not many wrestlers in um, the middleweight division. Like there's the Brunsons and the Vittoris and everything. But like when you look at the top of the middleweight division, like you'll see Darren Till, Cannoneer, Robert yeah. Whitaker. Like a lot of these guys are really Sean good Strickland. matchups for, yeah, Sean Strickland. Like a lot of these guys are really good matchups uh, stylistically for Alex Pajeda. So um, I think maybe with another 
win against a guy who's probably uh, ranked down low or uh, not really known, but I, I think a, a win over a guy like that really catapults him into the top 15. Maybe get one win or two wins after that, and then I think he's uh, in there with Izzy. Yeah, I was about to ask, how many wins do you think it takes? Uh, because, look, if you told me that that was the next title fight after Whitaker, right now, like... I don't know who I'm picking, yeah. right? Like it's like <laughs> right. it's something you have to really consider. And this is a guy that's made one UFC walk. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you could go. You look at the top fifteen right now, updated top fifteen. I think you probably try and and get a couple fights in. Um, you know, so he has a couple of uh, notches in the belt, top fifteen notches in the belt before you throw the title shot in there. But with the history with Israel Adesanya, uh, the splash that he made in his debut. I mean, Shabazian's at 15, Kevin Holland's at 12, Brad Tavares 11, Uriah Hall at 9, Darren Till 8, Sean Strickland 7. Like, you could throw him a, a, a combination of two or three of those guys, and if he, he takes them all down, like, he's there, right? Like, it's, it's a very fast climb, I think. You know, after hearing some of those names... I think you could throw him in there with Brad Tavares next, yeah. <laughs> to be quite honest yeah. with you. I'm not, and I'm not trying to say this as Brad Tavares is bad or anything, because Brad Tavares is really, really talented. Like, Israel Adesanya beat Brad Tavares in his, like, second or third right. UFC fight. And you saw just uh, how Izzy was able to control him with his length and everything. I think Alex Pajeda could do uh, something similar, but I think Pajeda would be more— um, would have a better chance of finishing Brad Tavares. Like, I think you could throw him in there now with Brad Tavares or maybe even Uriah Hall. I think he's yeah. ready for it now, but I think you kind of want to, you know, build him up a little bit more, uh, make sure that he's, you know, good with, you know, being in the UFC octagon and everything. I think after, um, it's not going to take much. Like, after a, a win against a non-ranked guy, I think you throw him in there with anybody in the top 15. And, and I mean anybody from 2 to 15. And I think you give him a win. Uh, if it's a clean win, I think you can throw him in there with the champion because like look Darren Till was was if he would have beat Derek Brunson he would have got a title shot yeah. and he was coming off of like maybe a one two two fight losing streak something like that like there's a lot of these guys who are who the UFC are just wanting to get title fights and I think uh it's not going to take eyes for head along for him to uh be in that discussion for sure yeah um and and there's so many guys in that division that I feel like are so far on the stand-up side versus either being a a grappler or even a bat more balanced guy right like that is a very heavy stand-up division when you look at the names and and what those guys are capable so there's not really a whole lot of pitfalls in terms of potentially meeting a guy I mean you mentioned Brunson and Hermanson like you know and then Vittori maybe or the really the guys that you worry about from that perspective I mean for the most part all those other dudes are like stand-up guys that I think you would say he has a great shot at yeah, I mean, if, if none of these guys are taking him to the ground, he has a good chance against anybody. Yeah, uh, that's why the Izzy fight is so intriguing. Not only because um, he's beat him twice, but like just the stylistic matchup. You're you're gonna see a really good stand up kickboxing match, um, and this is going to be a guy who Izzy can't control with his kickboxing. You know, because this is because you know, Pajeda's beat him twice in a kickboxing match, so. I mean, this is MMA. So what's Izzy gonna do? Like, is Izzy gonna try to take him down and try to submit him or right, something like that? Right. I mean, maybe he'll maybe he'll threaten that because you know he's been working on his wrestling and stuff. But you know, Izzy's claim to fame is that is his striking. You know, and it's the same thing with Axe Pajeda. So I mean, just the just the possibilities. Yeah, you know, just the possibilities of what that fight could be uh, is very intriguing. So and and I know the UFC knows that. That's why they brought him in. Right. Um, at some point, you, this is the fight to, that everyone's going to want to see. That's why he was the feature prelim on a card this loaded at Madison Square Garden. 
Uh, Absolutely. Bobby Green, Ally Quinta. Uh, this wasn't a surprise to us. I think we both picked Bobby Green. Um, you know, the guy's been super active. He's getting better. Ally Quinta hasn't been in the octagon in two years. Uh, big moment for Bobby Green. Yeah, man. Uh, Bobby Green, like during the pandemic, he was one of those guys who continuously fought uh, short notice, wh- whoever, uh, continuously made weight. I don't think there was ever a time where he missed weight. Uh, Bobby Green, a, a true professional. Uh, he's been very, very good for a long time. When you, when you hear guys talk about him, uh, they talk about how hard it, it is to hit him. You know, they talk about how good his defense is. And I think that was on display um, on uh, last Saturday night against Ali Quinta. You know, Al's been out for two years um, and, you know, it was going to take him a minute to truly get back in it. I think Bobby Green was a very bad matchup for him uh, for yeah. his comeback fight. I mean, for Ali Quinta, you know, he's he's used to having a number next to his name. So I think this his name called for a fight like Bobby Green. But I think, you know, just that was just a very bad silence matchup to come back to. And, uh, you know, Bobby Green, just his striking is so clean, a very technical guy. And that one, too, that he knocked uh, Ally Quinta down with was very, very crisp. Um, yeah, props to Bobby Green, man. Uh, he's, he's still doing it. Uh, he's been doing it for a long time, man. And, uh, you know, you never know what's next for Bobby Green. Uh, I, I think he's one, of, he's one of those guys who's, who's just like, give me whoever at any time. Yeah. But um, it was good to see him get a win like that at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Um, look, we could probably spend a bunch of time on every fight on this entire card. Uh, but for the sake of, of moving along and, and getting to the Leon Edwards stuff, as well as the picks for Saturday night, uh, a couple quick comments, and then you can uh, give me your thoughts on the rest of the card. Uh, Shabazian, all of a sudden, three losses in a row. I mean, this was that crucifix was brutal, and he was taking a beating. And this guy was, you know, dubbed like future champion, and now it's three straight L's. Um, man, I tough, tough draw for Edmund Shabazian for a third time in a row. Uh, the UFC debut of Ian Gary, um, maybe a, another uh, Irish superstar in the UFC. He gets the big finish. Uh, and then my man Chris Barnett, who is maybe the most athletic round person of all time. Uh, I, I love seeing him get the win as well. Man, um, I think... Um Shabazzi, he's just been taking on a lot of these guys who have just been really bad stylistic matchups for him. I thought, um, I thought Imovov uh, was a was a step down in competition, which it was. But I mean, I think Imovov proved. I think that fight was more about Imovov, how he's yeah. uh, one of the top guys in the division. I think um, the way he ran through Shabazzi shows that he's uh, definitely ready for a top ten, top five guy. Um, Ian Gary, man, uh, that fight, I thought the way it was going, that he was going to get knocked out or it was going to be uh, going pretty bad for him. But uh, at the very end, that uh, right hand, it was very, very clean, man. Um, uh, caught him coming in. Uh, uh, the counter, it was very, very crisp, that right. And then the follow-up shots afterwards. Uh, and then the promo afterwards that uh, on the mic, uh, he nailed it. I hit it out the park. Definitely the perfect way to make a debut. Uh, and then Chris Barnett, I mean – there, I mean, I don't know how he got his foot up there. When you look at this man, <laughs> you really don't see like how he's uh, that athletic. I, I mean, DC uh, says it on said it on the uh, on the commentary. He doesn't know how a, a guy that looks like that is that athletic. Um, but just his kicks and I mean the the Harlem Shake on the way out. I mean, yes. from 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 that, I was intrigued by that. I was like, okay, okay, I like I like this dude already. Yeah. And then the fight itself, and then how he put over uh, John Vlade after the fight in, in his retirement fight. Just uh, I think uh, Barnett really knocked it out the park as well. I think uh, a lot of people are going to be uh, wanting to see him, so I'm sure we'll see him in a pretty big spot as well in his next fight. So 
uh, from top to bottom, there was a lot to love on this card. Yeah, awesome, awesome fight card. And uh, look, let's hope UFC 269 is is even close to this good. Uh, speaking of UFC 269, Will, uh, Leon Edwards, Jorge Masvidal, this was one of the, uh, the fights that really, I think, propped this one up to be as good as the last two. Um, I maintain Leon Edwards is the unluckiest, maybe human being walking the planet at the moment. The UFC is giving him every opportunity to go get a title shot. And I think especially when you look at the Nate Diaz chance and now Jorge Masvidal, I'm not saying it's a guarantee he was going to beat Masvidal, but I think stylistically it's a beneficial matchup for Leon Edwards. I think that with both of those fights, the one thing Leon Edwards right now is missing is momentum, right? The guy's on a win streak. He's the only guy in the UFC that has a win streak this long that has literally no fan momentum. And you thought that just a win over Nate Diaz would do it, but then the last 60 seconds happens. A win over Jorge Masvidal, if you don't win the same way that you won against Nate Diaz, where you feel like he loses in the last minute, just beating that guy who's such a fan favorite is going to give you positive momentum. I thought it was the stage was set for him to go earn his title shot. Masvidal's out. That fight's not taking place. There's a lot of chatter on the internet that Hamzat Shemaev wants another fight, and the UFC wants him to fight again before the end of the year. These guys, Leon Edwards and Hamzat Chemaev, were supposed to be the headliner of the final card of 2021. COVID knocks Chemaev out of that matchup, and obviously the rest is history. If this fight takes place, I mean, what a massive turn of events it is for Leon Edwards. I think this is a much worse matchup, uh, whereas I would have picked him to beat Jorge Masvidal. I don't think he's beating Hamzat Chemaev, and I don't know if you've seen this, this fight looks like it's going to happen to the point that there are a bunch of odds makers putting odds on the fight as we speak. Best fight odds on Twitter right now has Hamzad at minus 300, Leon Edwards plus 250. <laughs> oh, man. Um, first of all, I'm with you. Leon Edwards has got to be the unluckiest human uh, in, in the world, man. I don't think that there's any other way to put it. Uh, I don't know if he stepped on glass. Like we talked about that uh, when this whole thing kind of started with the Bilal and Hamzad fights and all this stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know if he stepped on glass or what, but Leon Edwards is super unlucky. Uh, this was the, the perfect scenario. It kind of seemed like it was all coming together for him. Uh, he finally got the Masvidal match. He's finally making some uh, the most money he's ever made. Uh, this is a winnable fight, uh, a fight that he's probably going to be favored in. Um, he all he has to do is get this win against Masvidal in a grudge match. Uh, he finally gets a chance to um, to get at the guy who uh, hit him backstage, the three piece in the soda. You know, um, he finally got the chance, and now it just you know now you don't know what's to come of uh, Leon Edwards. You don't know what's next. But if Hamzat's next, it's the it's the worst matchup out of everybody uh, in the top uh, five for him, and, and Hamzat's not even in the top five. Um, Leon Edwards' last loss was to Kamaru Usman, and Usman just wrestled him the whole time. Hamza Shemaev is is uh, is a wrestler uh, who's who's going to try to pick him up, slam him down, ground and pound, choke him out. Like it's not going to be a good night in the office for Leon Edwards, especially if he's not able to to stop the takedown. Um, I think that um, we got to respect uh, probably the evolution of Leon Edwards. How um, and he's been unbeaten this long for a reason. I mean, I'm sure that he's fought some guys who've tried to wrestle him and uh, he's, he's had his way with them. Um, but you know, Hamzat is a different type of cat, man. He's come out and he's landed 254 strikes and only been hit twice over four UFC fights. So, I mean, there's something to be said. 
I think this fight is more intriguing than the uh, Masvidal fight. Um, I would love to see it. Uh, I think that uh, it's a tough one for Leon, but I, I mean, I would love to see it. I don't think I think the odds should be a little closer because I mean, we got to respect Leon Edwards. I, I think the guy's been unbeaten for all these for all these fights. We've got to respect him. Uh, yeah. And I know Hamzat's can't come out and he's beaten all these guys, but I think Leon's length presents a problem. I think that Leon could potentially make this uh, fight stand a little longer than a lot of these guys have. Um, so, I mean, it's very intriguing for sure, but uh, it's definitely not preferred by Leon Edwards. Definitely not. Yeah. Uh, what a what a massive turn of events <laughs> for a guy that I feel like the UFC is literally begging to like be in a title fight, right? I mean, you look at welterweight, and, and I told you we would talk about Kamaru Usman and what's next a little later. What's next for Kamaru Usman, right? You look at that division. He's now beat Colby twice. He, he's fought Masvidal twice in the last year and beat him. He's fought Gilbert Burns in the last year. Vicente Luque, I think I would love to see that fight. Uh, I don't know that he has enough momentum maybe right now to get a title shot, not to mention I don't know that this would prevent him from getting one, but missing weight as the backup fighter certainly doesn't look good uh, on Saturday night or, or Friday when he was the backup fighter for Usman Covington too. Um, I mean, it's literally Leon's opportunity, right? The long win streak, like who else? That's my question. If not Leon, who else? And the UFC... They're not just going to give anybody a Nate Diaz opportunity, right? They're not just going to give anybody walking down the street a, a Jorge Masvidal opportunity. Those two guys, regardless of how anybody thinks how good they are, those two guys are the kind of guys from a star power standpoint that will put you over the top if you beat them. The UFC is not going to just give anybody a Masvidal or a Nate Diaz fight at this point in time. Like They're going to be extremely strategic with who they want to benefit from a matchup like that. And Leon's getting Nate and now Jorge back-to-back. Like, if that's not the UFC begging Leon to go take advantage of an opportunity to get a title shot, I don't know what is. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you go from, what, like I said, what I think is a very winnable fight for Leon Edwards, and I think he would, I th- I'm, I'm picking him to beat Game Bread, uh, to a guy that I think finishes Leon, honestly, in a fight. Like, I give Leon a lot of credit, man, but I, I, I don't think he's preventing Hamza Chemaya from mauling him, unfortunately. Uh, it, I mean, ugh, ugh. If you're Leon Edwards, <laughs> say no to this fight. Say no. I mean, I hope he says yes because I want to see the fight, but if I'm in his corner, I'm like, nah, bro, this one's not for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you, man. If I'm in his corner, I think there are definitely other uh, more – Winnable fights than the Hamza fight. I mean, there's still like Neil Madney out there who doesn't have a fight. I mean, Wonder Boy's out there who doesn't have a fight. There's there's other guys, but you know, you don't know if they're willing to step in uh, this quick. You know, with the month until the pay per view. But Hamza Shemaev has literally been trying to get somebody to fight him at the end of the year yeah. uh, for the since UFC 267, and now there's just a, a a golden opportunity for him to fight at the end of the year. And you know, Leon Edwards. I mean, that 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 fight was on and off, on and off, all last year. And now it just kind of seemed like this fight has just come back around because there's some type of destiny that goes that's going yeah. into this fight um, with Leon and Hamzat, man. Um, I wouldn't put it past Hamzat to finish Leon Edwards with the way that it, that he's going. But I think out of respect to, to Leon Edwards' streak that he's been on, the, the unbeaten streak, and with um, just how Hamzat hasn't really fought the caliber of an opponent that a Leon Edwards is, 
I kind of give Leon more of a chance than most of the world is, but uh, it's still the toughest matchup in the division for him. I, I stand by that. Out of, I mean, besides uh, Colby Covington or you know the, t- the guys at the very top, um, Hamzat Shemaev is definitely the toughest matchup for Leon Edwards for sure. I mean, Luke and Gilbert Burns are both in the top five, and if I'm in Leon's corner, I would say take Burns or Luke before you take Shemaev. I'm one thousand percent close. <laughs> take Gilbert Burns. Take uh, Vicente Luque. Yes. Stay. I'm not going to say like stay away from Hamza, but if those options are on the table, yeah. don't take Hamza. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I hope we get to see it, man. I was geeked out about that matchup a year ago. I was devastated by all 16 of the cancellations. I'm being sarcastic, but uh, every time that thing was canceled, I was super disappointed. And uh, I mean, look, it, it's either the uh, the final punctuation to get Leon to the the final destination or. Leon is the trampoline, not the stepping stone, the trampoline <laughs> that yeah. vaults Hamza Chimaev into a title fight. So uh, I would love to see it. And look, I mean, if we're talking about a UFC pay-per-view card, uh, Dustin Poirier, Charles Oliveira, we're talking about Amanda Nunes. Uh, I mean, Hamza Chimaev and Leon Edwards is about the next best thing that you could possibly get uh, if you're not going to have Leon Edwards and uh, Gamebred Masvidal. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the difference right now between... Like if Leon Edwards were to fight a Neil Magny or Wonder Boy or even a Luke or a um, Gilbert Burns, like those fights are are fine. But Hamzat's um, star right now, I mean, he's got the the entire MMA world behind him right now. Uh, he's a very big star. Uh, I mean, the his last fight with with Lee Jingliang, how he finished that fight and then got on the mic and said, Dana, don't ever uh, look at your phone while I'm fighting. Like the way that he that he knocked the post fight uh, interview out the park. I mean, everyone's wanting to see Hamzat fight. Yeah. So, yeah, the next best thing behind uh, Masvidal Edwards' fight is definitely putting Hamzat Shemaev in that spot. All right, let's let's uh, let's get to our picks for Saturday. I was about to say Saturday night, but Saturday afternoon because I believe we have a noon main card start. Is that right? Uh, or is that the prelims? I think that's the prelims. I think the main card is uh, at three okay. or four. Okay, well, that, that's that's better then. I, I was... Uh, I may have misread it. I thought I saw main card at noon, and I thought, oh, what a what a crusher. <laughs> um, but looks, I mean, Max Holloway fought in the afternoon the last time. It was an ABC card to start 2021, and he put on one of the greatest UFC performances of all time, and that's not hyperbole. Dead serious. He fought in the afternoon to start the year and put on one of the greatest UFC performances we've ever seen. And finally, Max Holloway is back in the octagon. All right, we have a five-fight main card for UFC Fight Night 42, Will Brewer. And we begin in the bantamweight division, the division that you believe is the best in the UFC. We have Song Yudong, 17-5-1 overall against Julio Arce, 17-4 overall. Oddshark.com has Song Yudong at minus 140 Julio Arce plus one fifteen. Man, this one's tough. Um, you know, Song Yudong in his in his last fight fought a very very tough Casey Kenny to a split decision. Uh, that fight definitely could have went either way. Um, and you know, Julio Arce came out and uh, knocked out uh, Andre Yule, and it was a uh, I think it was a crazy like spinning. Maybe it was a back elbow or something. It was one of the knockouts of the year. I just forget what it was, um, but it was a crazy knockout. I think this is very good matchmaking at bantamweight. Um, I don't, man, this one's tough, man. Uh, I thought that I was, I thought I knew what I wanted to do uh, before the show, but, you know, now that I 
I'm like in this spot. I don't know what I really want to do, man. This what this one's tough. Um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with uh, with Songy Dong. That was my pick before the show. Uh, I kind of wanted to see if I wanted to, to change it, but I think uh, Songy Dong is fought tougher competition at this point, and uh, I think Julio Arce is kind of um, this is the the fight that wants to catapult him into the top, you know, the top fifteen of the division. But I don't think he's fought anyone uh, as good as Songy Dong, so I'm going Songy Dong here. All right, Songy Dong for me as well. Although I, I was somewhat tempted going into this to just go opposite you, no matter what. Um, not enough point value to outweigh uh, what I believe is the better fighter here. Uh, and like you said, I think we've just seen him face a, a class of guy that's on a different level to this point. All right, fight number two on the main card. We head to the welterweight division. This should be an awesome one. Miguel Baeza, 10-1 and one overall versus Chaos Williams, 12-2 and two overall. Oddshark.com has Baeza at minus 140, Chaos Williams plus 115. Before you answer that, I should remind everybody, uh, the main card got reshuffled with uh, Roman Dolidze and Kyle Dawkins being called off. So uh, this was originally a prelim fight that is now on the main card. Well, um, look, I think that this uh, is probably going to be my fight of the night. I, I don't think that there's any way that this fight is going to be boring. Uh, Miguel Baeza um, has gotten, like, performance bonuses in, like, in, in his last three fights. And his last fight with Ponzinibbio was one of the best fights uh, of the year. Uh, they were going back and forth. Uh, but w- what I remember most about that fight is uh, how Baeza kind of tired out um, with how... With how active both guys were right. he kind of tired out in those uh, later rounds so i think that's why ponzinibbio was able to get the nod because of his activity um but i think while i think uh, baeza is the better uh, all-around guy uh chaos williams uh, is the more powerful guy for sure uh easily and i think uh he's able to um in this fight uh in a way uh where um Miguel kind of would struggle. I think he's. I think Miguel will be very timid, not very timid, but very tentative to go in there and uh, get in close with Chaos Williams. Um, as far as my pick, man, you know, uh, I think I know where you're gonna go. So I think being on the opposite side here, I think I'm gonna go with uh, uh, Baeza. All right, you uh, guessed incorrectly because I am going uh, with Miguel Baeza in this. Oh matchup. man, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. I will say this. I think if if we see Baeza get in the same fight that he was in with Ponzinibbio, he's not absorbing Chaos Williams' punches the same way that he did in that last fight, right? Chaos is ending the fight if he lands those same shots. So I I look at this fight, and I think Chaos could end it at any point in time with his power, but I think Miguel Baeza is so much more technically sound and I think just sharp uh, that uh, I'm, I'm going Baeza. But, yeah, I mean, if this becomes a brawl, Baez is not surviving the same <laughs> shots from Chaos Williams that uh, that he survived from Ponzinibbio. Absolutely not, man. Uh, yeah, Ponzinibbio was hitting him with some great shots, and and Miguel showed how tough he was. But I mean, Chaos has a different type of power. Yeah. Just ask uh, Al Hassan yeah. <laughs> about his power. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, we have uh, fight number three on the main card. We have female featherweights Felicia Spencer eight and three overall, Leah Letson five and one overall. Oddshark.com has Felicia Spencer minus 325 plus 250 for Leah Letson. Look, uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't really know too much about Leah Letson, uh, but I know that Felicia Spencer is very tough and I know that she can wrestle. And uh, a lot of the times, especially with the, with the featherweight division being so uh, thin, 
uh, a lot of the time, uh, just being able to wrestle and having that experience, uh, that UFC experience, will get you the, will get you to the promised land. So uh, with this one, I'm going to go Fuchsia Spencer. Well, Leah Letson, uh, just a quick uh, bio on Leah Letson. She uh, won the UFC Ultimate Fighter. Or, well, I don't know if she won, but she won on the UFC Ultimate Fighter 28 finale card. I don't know if that means it was uh, the main event or not. So I don't know if she won the show, but. Uh, no, she didn't because she lost to uh, Macy uh, Chase on uh, in you in the same season. So I would assume she was just on the card. Uh, won her UFC 28 finale show fight uh, in 2018, and is now making her UFC debut. Well, so uh, three years after she was on the Ultimate Fighter, she's not had a professional fight since then, and making her UFC debut against Felicia Spencer. Uh, yeah, this is a tough ask, Felicia Spencer. <laughs> Not an easy one. All right, our co-main event, we have heavyweights Ben Rothwell, 39 and 13 overall. Good Lord. Anytime somebody just in the victory column is at the number 39. Uh, 39 and 13 overall for Ben Rothwell. Marcos Rogerio de Lima, 18, 7, and 1 overall. Minus 155 favorite for Ben Rothwell, plus 130 for Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Man, uh... You know, DeLima, I remember uh, when he fought, his last fight was against that one guy who uh, who's not really that good. Oh, uh, Maurice Green. And uh, I knew for a fact he was going to win that uh, just based on I didn't really think Maurice Green was that good. But, I mean, a lot of his other fights, when he fights um, uh, some of these known guys, he loses. And when he loses, it's by submission. And I don't think that Ben Rothwell is going to beat him by submission. Uh, I think this is going to be uh, a decision, but I think it's going to be a closer fight uh, than I'm expecting. I'm expect I, my pick has been Rothwell, but uh, I think this fight's going to be really, really close. And um, I think Ben Rothwell's length and just how tough he is um, is going to get him the nod. Uh, it, it, I mean, Delima's tough, man. I got to give it to him; he's tough. But I think uh, Ben Rothwell's experience, like you said, he, over 50 fights. Uh, I think his experience and his length is going to uh, be able to get him that victory. So, Ben Rothwell for me. All right. Um, <laughs> I, I love that you mentioned the uh, the chokes because <laughs> um, <laughs> Marcos Rogério de Lima has, if you if you uh, count the Ultimate Fighter Brazil season three, has six losses in the UFC overall. Uh, lost by rear naked choke. Lost by rear naked choke. Lost by guillotine choke. Lost by Von Flu choke, lost by arm triangle choke, and lost by forearm choke. I don't think Ben Rothwell is presenting the same threat. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go opposite you here and and maybe uh, pick up a point. Uh, I, I don't think we're in in danger of Ben Rothwell uh, really pulling off a, a arm triangle choke in this one. So I will go I mean, maybe- Marcos Rogerio de Lima. I mean, maybe Ben Rothwell will pull off a choke slam. Choke slam, yeah, that, you know, I could <laughs> right, see that. A choke slam, but outside of that, I don't see him uh, getting to the ground at all, yeah. trying to do any type of choke. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if that's the only way that he's losing, Ben <laughs> Rothwell is not going to present that type of uh, that type of arsenal. So, uh, but I think just Ben Rothwell is so tall, and Delima's, I mean, he's very height challenged uh, for the heavyweight division. So, yeah. um, I think that uh, Ben Rothwell can still get it done. All right, uh, which takes us to our main event, and I especially wanted to go opposite you, 
in the co-main because uh, now that we're in the, at the end of this card, I just don't see us being on the opposite side of this one either. Uh, unfortunately, although look, uh, I've been uh, I've been more surprised uh, by less. So we'll see what happens. We are in the featherweight division for our main event. We have Max Blessed Holloway, twenty-two and six overall. Yair Rodriguez, thirteen and two overall. Max Holloway is a minus seven hundred favorite in this one. Yair Rodriguez plus four fifty. I will just say this out of the gate: Max Holloway's pace for anyone walking the planet is a lot to deal with, and we saw historic output from Max Holloway the last time he was in the octagon. I think Yair Rodriguez is fantastic. In fact, the the Korean Zombie finish is, is one of my favorites in UFC history. But the guy hasn't been in the octagon in over two years, and like we talked about with Bobby Green and Ally Aquinta, when you've not been in the octagon for that amount of time, to deal with somebody that's just that active is a problem, much less that active with that kind of accuracy and precision. Um, there's a reason this is minus 700, and sometimes we say, like, I don't get that number, but... Whew. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I thought the minus 700 was a little much, but then I, I started to think about it. Um, I mean, you make really, really good points. I mean, Yair has not been in the, in the octagon for two years. Uh, Yair, on top of that, uh, has had issues proving how tough he is. Um, his his mental, you know, uh, his mental's not always been the, uh, his brightest spot. I think the the Korean zombie knockout was fantastic. I think it was a fight that he was losing, and uh, yeah. that knockout was just was insane. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think he did that on purpose. Uh, I think it was just kind of an accident, it just happened. But I mean, it is what it is. He got the win, but um, he hasn't been in the octagon for two years. Um, his mental toughness is is of question, and. Uh, you know, when he's out there, this is, I mean, I don't expect him, he may try to take this fight to the ground, but even then, I mean, there's the only path to victory that I see for Yair is if he lands something crazy, uh, a spinning, flying something, uh, to j- something that Max just doesn't see and uh, that knocks Max out. Because if, if he doesn't knock Max out, Max out, then there's not really a path to victory that I see for Yair. Um, Max is just, like you said, his activity, how accurate he is. Uh, And then as you fatigue, he's only getting stronger. Uh, In the the third and fourth and fifth rounds, he's only getting getting stronger as uh, the fight progresses. Uh, In the first round, you know, he'll throw throw some combinations. And it's kind of slow. He's just kind of getting into the fight. But as those... Yeah, finding his rhythm. But once his rhythm starts, there's no stopping it. I mean, ask Brian, or- Brian Ortega, ask Calvin Cater, ask Aldo, ask uh, Frank Yeager. All these guys. When you get into the when you get into the cage with Max Holloway, I mean, all that you think that you're good at it just stops because you once Max gets going, you just can't stop him. Uh, uh, man, uh, and and it, it gets to a point where you just have to test your mental and see how tough you are to see if you're even gonna go to the finish line with Max. That's where I think Yair Rodriguez is, is. You know, I kind of think that this is, that this is going to be a finish. I think it's going to be similar to the Calvin Cater fight, but I don't think that Yair is going to make it to the final bell. I think that uh, this is going to be a Max Holloway finish. Uh, Max Holloway is at a different level, man. Um, and Yair has been out the, out the octagon for two years. This is a very, very tall task to ask of anybody coming yeah. off of a two-year layoff, uh, but especially a guy like Yair Rodriguez. This is a very good stylistic matchup for Max. 
and I think he's going to have his way, man. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, I, I think that even if Yair had been active, this is a tough ask, but the guy's not been in the octagon for two years, and you're going to immediately, for the first time, going to face the most active featherweight in UFC history. I mean, <sighs> all this dude does is put volume on you, right? Like, he's not a knockout artist. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. Literally, he is just going <laughs> right. to over and over and over, and it's never going to stop. And when you haven't been in the octagon for that long, like I know there are some people believe in ring rust, some people don't. I'm not even saying ring rust. I'm just saying from an experience standpoint, you've not done something in two full years and you're literally not going to have any time to like find a rhythm because this guy is going to be on you and never stop. I mean, that's a tough ask, even when you've been active, much less when you haven't been active. So yeah, I think this is, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard for us, I think, all to forget about what we watch with Max and, and Calvin Cater. And I think one of the things we walked away from that not only was like Max putting on one of the greatest performances we've ever seen, but in order for that to be one of the greatest performances we've ever seen, there was a level of toughness that Calvin Cater had to have to endure that sort of output. And I'm not saying Yair Rodriguez can't do that, but we haven't seen him do that. And when you haven't been in the octagon for two years, I have a hard time imagining that the first time back you're going to show that level of toughness for five full rounds against Max Holloway. Seems like a stretch to me. So uh, this is more uh, not not anything necessarily about Yair as much as, you know, this is Max freaking Holloway. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, he hasn't been in the cage for two years. While he's trying to find his footing, trying to, you know, you know people don't believe in ring rust or whatever. While he's there's got to be a level, uh, there's going to be a, a stretch of time where he's getting back into it. While he's doing that, Max is just going to be adding up the punches, uh, finding his rhythm. And once Yair probably finds his rhythm, it's going it's going to be too late. Like Max is already going to find his rhythm. He's already going to find uh, what Yair wants to throw. I mean, Yair is going to have to go out there and just go for broke, and uh, he's going to have to try to do something crazy. But the only problem with that is, as he does something crazy, if it doesn't land, he's only draining himself more yeah. and more. Yeah. And uh, by the time the third round comes, or the, maybe even the second round, depending on how aggressive he is in the first round, by that by that time, Max is just going to continue to uh, add up punches, and it's never going to stop. That's and, a great point. Uh, we're gonna, I think we're going to get to the to a point where it's going to be like a doctor stoppage, or or just a TKO victory for Max. I mean, this is just a terrible matchup to come back to. And even if, like you said, even if uh, Yair had been active, this is still a stretch uh, for him because of the level of competition that he's fought, it's nowhere close to uh, Max Holloway's level. I mean, Max Holloway is basically the champion, and uh, Yair hasn't fought anybody uh, in Max's uh, level yet. So this is tougher for Yair, for sure. Yeah. Uh, by the way, my guy uh, Kennedy Inzechiku starts us off uh, on the prelims. And if you haven't Man, seen uh, Kennedy and Zechiku, which I, I think I'm saying that right, but if you haven't seen him fight, uh, don't don't miss it. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he should be a heavyweight. I mean, he's all of six 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 seven, he's monster. and uh, he and he's always uh, putting on exciting fights. It seems like he's out of these fights. It seems like he's about to lose, but somehow, some way, he are, he always pulls out a win, and then he does it in very impressive fashion. So uh, the first fight of the night, if you if you see the guy and he's losing. Uh, it's probably he's probably got the guy right where he wants right where because, he wants him because yeah. <laughs> because eventually he's going to get a finish. Uh, he's that tough. <laughs> yeah. So in uh, uh, man, he knocked out Carlos Allberg in a fight that he was rocked in, and then uh, his last fight, Daniel Marquez, uh, Marquez, yeah, yeah, uh, knocked him out in a fight that he was losing as 20 well. Twenty seconds so, left. 
with 20 seconds left. So, you know, and Desiku is very, very tough. And uh, I think he's got a, a, a dance partner who will bring it as well. So uh, tough night for uh, Kennedy and Desiku, but uh, I'm interested to see how it goes for him. Two things are going to happen this week. Number one, I will inevitably rewatch uh, Max Holloway, Calvin Cater before I watch Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez and relive. Uh, I, I, I've watched it once since it happened, but it's been a while. Uh, so just go back and, and enjoy for a third time the just unbelievable performance that was Max Holloway back in January of this year. But the other thing that's going to happen, well, now that I say that, maybe I'm not ready for it yet. Uh, at some point, I'm finally going to be ready to watch Gaethje Chandler again. Like, I'm going to be able to <laughs> handle it for a second time, even knowing what's coming, because I even thought when that fight ended on Saturday night and the card was over completely, like, I want to go back and rewatch that. And I was like, you know what? Too soon. Not ready. Not ready to have to, like, absorb all of that intensity for a full 15 minutes. So at some point, I'm going to go back and rewatch uh, Gaethje Chandler, uh, I'm sure, this week. But, yeah. Well, uh, let me tell you, I'm one step ahead of you on Gaethje Chandler. I watched it earlier today, and I don't I don't think I was ready for it because <laughs> – <laughs> Watching it again, man, I was, I was, I went back to that high, and I'm just like, yeah. oh my gosh, this yeah. fight is so good. Like, uh, it was like I was watching it for the first time all over again. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely will tell you, proceed with caution as you watch Gaethje Chandler again. But uh, I will also watch Max and Calvin Cater because uh, that performance, man, just seeing how Max's combinations from the first round, it went from two to three punch combinations, and then in the third and fourth and fifth round, it was getting up to like. 14, 15, 16 unanswered punches, and all Calvin Cater could do is just just stay in there yeah. and just prove how tough he was. There was nothing he could do to stop it. Um, I can't wait. I, now I, I can't wait to watch that fight because yeah. watching Max uh, when he's going, it's it's a it's beautiful violence, and that's the same thing with Gaethje and Chandler. It's a beautiful violence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only you know that uh, Chandler and Gaethje, literally, like I, you're one punch away from one of those dudes being out cold which added right. to the intensity of that entire 15-minute experience. So, yeah, I'm not ready yet. It, that, that might take me a couple more days. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was ready, man. But, so exhausted uh, after that fight. Yeah, sa- same thing, man. Yeah, we might want to proceed with caution. You might want to watch it on, on yeah. Friday or Saturday right before the fights. Yeah, I'm sitting there just over and being like, holy shit. Like, to myself, not even talking to anybody. I'm just literally like, holy shit. Out loud. Holy shit. That fight was Stupid. Stupid. And the fact that those two guys were still standing at the end of it, it's it's yeah. just incredible. Like, like how? By the way, did you how? see the video of Chandler in the hospital with the ice pack on his face talking to his kid? <laughs> incredible, man. <laughs> it, it's it's funny. It's funny stuff. But I mean, at the same time, you kind of feel for him. But then again, it's just like, man, how good? How good is this? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was great. And also, I, I promise you, the thing that I took from that was Michael Chandler was not hurting whatsoever in that video. Because painkillers were doing their job. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and, Definitely was on some painkillers. Yeah, yeah. And painkillers are a must there. So, <laughs> anyway. All right, buddy. I will let you run uh, Saturday night, uh, another UFC card. And, uh, man, I, I know that uh, it may be hard to move on from the last two weeks. But at least if there's going to be a bridge from back-to-back pay-per-view lineups, uh, it's Max Holloway. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, this fight card, it's it's a sneaky good card. I, I think there's a lot to to love on the prelims. There's a lot of really solid prospects on the prelims. Like we didn't even mention Tiago Moises, oh, who yeah. was always yeah. an exciting fighter. Cynthia Calvillo, uh, Andrea Lee is going to be great. Uh, Sean Woodson uh, is going to be on the card, who's great. 
uh, Mark DeCasey uh, is going to be a great fight uh, on the card. Also, Kennedy and Zetchka, we mentioned him earlier. And in the main card, um, it's going to be solid. So uh, definitely, definitely look uh, to watch this one. Uh, I know that 268 was great, and there's, it's going to be hard to top that. But for a fight night, this is a very solid card, and it's going to be headlined by Max Holloway. So there's a lot to love. And, you know, Max Holloway is uh, as much must-see, as I said at the beginning, he's very much must-see as anyone else in the entire sport. So definitely take your time out to watch it. All right, buddy. Uh, have a good week, and we will catch up on Saturday. All right, my brother. Have a good one. Okay.